0: Welcome to Elam Lutheran Church remote uh, service this morning. We're going to open with that great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It says in Psalms 89.1, O sing to the Lord a new song, for
1: He has done marvelous things. members and friends of Elam Lutheran
0: Church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Once again, Pastor Herb Hoff from the outskirts of Olympia, sharing again by uh, long distance. Hopefully next week we can be together. Thought I'd bring you out to our yard today as I share with you. We're going to be looking at Acts, the 18th chapter, beginning at verse 1. And I'm going to invite you to grab your own Bible and open to Acts 18 as we look at this 18th chapter. St. Paul has moved his uh, ministry area away from Athens, has gone about 45, 46 miles west to uh, a town called Corinth. And Corinth was a, a A powerful town in the sense that uh, it was a double seaport town. It was located right on the Corinthian Isthmus from the lower part of Achaia to uh, the upper part. And so everything that went north and south out of that whole area uh, had to pass through Corinth. Not only that, but because of the Isthmus, there was a, a a couple mile journey between two great big chunks of of water, and instead of going all the way around, it was much easier to go across. And so there was there was two seaports there at Corinth. And having spent time in the army at a seaport down in San Pedro, California, I've realized that. Uh, What was true of our day is also true of their day, and if there was something that could be uh, sort of rough and tumble and sort of focused on sensuality, uh, seaport towns were pretty good at that, and Corinth being a double seaport town was really good at that. And so there was all sorts of different things going north and south by land, going east and west by water, and it uh, caused uh, a great deal of struggle for the people Because um, the world and the world system had so ingrained itself into the lives of those that were there. So we're going to be looking at at Acts chapter 18. We're going to start with verse 1. Uh, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. And Heavenly Father, uh, you are the one who has caused this word to be inspired. We pray that your spirit would breathe life into this word and into our lives, so that we too, even as many in Corinth way back then, would hear and would believe and would obey because of your love and grace. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Corinth, we find out later on, in fact, uh, when we get to the the letters Paul writes to them later on, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, we find out that uh, even though Paul spent a lot of time there, a year and a half, uh, it did not protect them from crazy things coming in their way. And as a church, I sort of refer to Corinth as the f troop of churches. If, if you could do it wrong, if you could goof it up, it somehow... Corinth was able to do that. Um, They had divisions like crazy in their church uh, over giftings that people had, over finances, over who was leading and who they respected, uh, gender, whether you were male or female, you name it, they could make a division over it. There was sexual immorality, not only in the culture, but also had seeped into the church, and it was a real struggle. There was confusions about marriage uh, and whether or not you could be God-pleasing if you got married in these days. Uh, And there was confusion on the Lord's Supper, on spiritual gifts, on the physical bodily resurrection, not only of Jesus, but of believers and all. they were missing each and messing up each one of these areas. And so we, we know that Paul comes and he seeks to do some great things. And God seeks to do that. As he, as Paul enters Corinth, he uh, happens upon and meets this married couple, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, actually mentioned six times in Scripture. And <laughs> interesting, the vast majority of those times, of those six times, it's Priscilla and Aquila, rather than Aquila and Priscilla. There, there's something about this woman, Priscilla, who had, was a, a a real, a real go-getter, and so much so that many times her name is even listed before her husband's, Aquila. Uh, uh, he was a Jewish man, born in Pontus, uh, up up by the Black Sea, the south and, and eastern edge and shores of the Black Sea. And that's where he grew up, but, but somehow later on found himself in Rome, and that's where he and Priscilla lived as husband and wife, working in their jobs as tent makers. Well, in 49 B- a- AD, the emperor, Claudius, was frustrated with struggles going on within the Jewish community, and he, he commanded that all Jews would be kicked out of Rome, not necessarily out of Italy, but all of them out of Rome. And Aquila and Priscilla, they find themselves settling down in Corinth, uh, this place that was so great for, for transportation and for all the stuff that was doing that they could sell their skills to people. This is where Paul happens upon them. Paul too is gifted as a tent maker. That's what he does, that's what he grows up. Well, Claudius didn't want the Jews in Rome. Anti-Semitism, you know, it, it didn't begin with, with the Third Reich. It did not begin with the KKK of recent years. Since the beginning of the rebellion of Satan His design has been to destroy the people of God's promise. The the people who have brought the the law, who brought the prophets, who've given us the word of God. The enemy hates them. God loves them. So we find out that uh, people like the Pharaoh or the Philistines... Nebuchadnezzar or Carid, or or all the followers of Islam later on. They've tried to get rid of the Jews, but they have all failed. They continue to be here as a witness to God's goodness and grace. Well, the anti-Semitism of Emperor Claudius uh, brought these three together, forcing Aquila and Priscilla to leave Rome, settle in Corinth, and now Paul comes. He finds them, and and they begin working together. In fact, Paul lives with them, and and they tent-make together. And they partner, first of all, in trade, but then they partner in the gospel. And that's how Paul's daily needs were met. He made tents, and and with that, they could sell and provide for their needs, not waiting and, and depending upon gifts of a, a new, floundering, early uh, congregation. We continue on. Uh, chapter 18, verses 5 and 6. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that, that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now with the arrival of, of, of Silas and, and Timothy, uh, Paul really focuses his efforts on, on trying to persuade through the word of God, trying to persuade them that indeed the Christ, the Messiah is Jesus. And, and he has some impact, but, but there's some that like has always been the, the way that they resist. Many of the, of the Jews in Corinth did come to faith but there was once again opposition, and it says they reviled him. And, and Paul's response eventually as that revel, reviling of them takes place is, is he takes out his garments and he shakes them, uh, almost shaking the dust from them, uh, almost like uh, taking the shoes and if you're outside and shaking the dust off your shoes and saying, you know what, I'm not going to allow your treatment of me to be the thing that hinders me. I'm gonna be free. You can get bent out of shape. You get bent out of shape. I'm gonna be free in the gospel. In fact, as you have done that, you have opened the door for me to be free to go and minister to the Gentiles. Paul understands that that's the main focus of his ministry and the Jews' rejection of it is the very thing that, that allows him the freedom to do that. You have now freed me with the good news to go and share the gospel to the Gentiles. And so it comes to the place where uh, even in the, in the synagogue where there's darkness, there's real light that shines close by. Verses 7 and 8. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus... The ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Paul's departure from the synagogue didn't drive him far away. Actually, it drove him all the way next door. Can you imagine the irritation that must have been for for those who were remaining in the synagogue and rejecting the the Messiahship of Jesus? And here they see the, the person who was the leader of the synagogue, now next door, worshiping the Lord Jesus. And not only him, but his whole family and others who were apart. Again, uh, what had been seen in other places, those who were seeking after God were the ones that were turning and trusting in Jesus. Paul's departure all the way to next door. And what does it say about those who were there? It says, they heard Paul. They believed the promises of God that Paul proclaimed and and they were baptized now it's obvious that that a healthy congregation has now begun to to spring up here in this land uh, We'll find out later on that sometimes healthy congregations start and then they flounder a little bit and if you spend time in in first and second corinthians you you see how they ended up floundering later on. But Paul is there, and he, as as a standard for what he does, he comes, he presents to the Jews. It opens the door for the truth to come to the Gentiles. People believe, others respond in opposition, and the missionaries move on to, to new lands to, to begin the process once again, once again. Share in the synagogue, allow it to touch the Gentiles, find opposition, and move on. But not this time. This time, God has something else. In fact, it's in a vision that God speaks to Paul, and he encourages some boldness. Here's what it says in verses 9 through 11. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. It, it was this time for Paul that, that things were going to change. He'd been used to the way it had worked in the past. I, I know a number of pastors who who their life has been spent, their calls into a congregation has been there for a season. And that season is two or three or four years. And, and about that time, all of a sudden, there gets to be this wanderlust in them. Is it time for me to move on to different pastors, to, to share this gift with another people? Um, I don't know. Uh, my first call was three years. My second call was seven the next was six, and then <laughs> the last one was a little over 20. But I'll tell you, after six or seven years, my mind was wondering, do I need to go somewhere else? Is it time for me to move? I'd sort of gotten into that habit. Six or seven years, do we move on? Paul has a vision. God comes and speaks to him, and and it says, stay put, I'm going to have you bloom where I have planted you. Uh, This is going to be a new way of things, of doing things. He's going to stay put until God moves him. He is going to speak with boldness the word of God, and he is not going to be fearful. He's not going to be afraid. Uh, And also, God's going to protect him. He's not going to be attacked. Now, Paul knows about being attacked, uh, the seal of feeling of not being protected. In fact, uh, left for dead after being stoned, and, and, and God brings him back, uh, lifts him up, and he continues on. And he's going to minister in such a way that many in Corinth who are already God's people are going to be strengthened and are becoming the church that God has designed them. For a year and a half, Paul ended up staying there, and and he spoke with boldness, and he was not afraid. And in fact, even as he leaves and writes a letter back, he is very bold in his proclamation and and the declaration we find in 2 Corinthians that, that I am an apostle by God's choice, by God's call. You better pay attention to what God is speaking. For Paul, God closed some doors, especially those doors to the synagogue. But that, 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 those closed doors did not stop ministry. That ministry to the Jews continued. There were still many Jews that, that came to trust and believe in Jesus through that ministry of Paul. Many didn't. And many were resentful, and many were in opposition. But even though there were many Jews that rejected there were many Gentiles, the ones that God had called and appointed Paul to minister, there were many Gentiles who came to trust in Jesus. And and now with the good news that they didn't have to become Jews before they became followers of Messiah, that was even an added bonus. For some, doors were closed. For others, doors were opened wide. And it was opened wide for a good and long time that old saying, bloom where you are planted, I would tell you this, brothers and sisters, bloom where God has planted you until the time comes that that God decides to transport you and transplant you to a different place, all of which would be to his glory and to your good. brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus keep you peacefully, boldly speaking to his grace and favor. We pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. One of the offerings we're gonna have today is the chance to, to join together around the table and the feast that God has presented for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. But as we do that, as we prepare our hearts, let's make sure that things are right between us and God. He tells us in his word in 1 John that if we say we have no sin, we're just deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I invite you to take a few moments to to speak to him the truth of your heart. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now to you who have confessed your sins to him, who believe in his promise in Jesus, I declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. This is the promise of God to those who trust in him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen in order that we might even believe this with greater confidence. He has given us the, the gift of Holy Communion. It was our Lord Jesus on that night in which he was betrayed that took bread. And When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then, After that supper was ended, he took the cup. Again he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples saying, drink of this, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now as his people, let's pray the prayer the Lord has taught. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. for God is ready to bless you. And now the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his holy and precious blood, strengthen you and preserve you in true faith until life everlasting. Amen. I invite you now to open your hands, to open your hearts, and receive the blessing of God who loves you so very much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with the greatest of all his favor and give you his peace. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God's blessings, dear friends. We're going to close
1: this morning with, there is a Redeemer.